There's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission. Uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. A booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. The plan is for every adult, every adult to get a booster shot. It's uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. I have a really important point to get across today and a very isolated, shorter show, which I seem, I, I seem to be saying that a lot lately, which ends up being two hours, which is ultimately short for us. But today, I actually mean it. And you'll see, we're going to get into a very important point in regard to the Scotland data that we've been going over week by week, month by month, and continuing to show you that this is indeed a pandemic of the injected. And that that just the cases from the UK data, and really everywhere in the world that's being honest about this right now, even in the United States, it is showing you the, this, the cases, the, the vast majority and the risk are exponentially higher for those in the injected. And now they're trying to pretend, as they grudgingly admit parts of it, that it's only because of Omicron. And we're going to make that again today, the point, make that point again today in many different locations other than just the injection. But they keep playing this game, even though the data and those, those parts you just saw, many of those were from the Delta part where that's where Walensky admitted the transmission wasn't being stopped. They're just trying to lump all this on Omicron, just like they did the last time with Delta, right? Oh, why isn't this working? Oh, it's a new thing. 
And then once we just get to something happen, oh, look, now it's a new thing. And that's why. And we're also going to get into how they're very clearly playing a game with statistics. And this has been proven. And I, I've proven on this show. Many others have proven this. Alberta accidentally admitted this and posted the information and deleted it. And we're going to go over this again and show you that it's about how they're playing what, what is the absolute highest, the, the most concentrated location of problems, which is the first 14 to 20 days of the first booster or the first shot, excuse me. So in every case here, and this is what we saw from Alberta, 55.4% of the deaths that they had seen were in the first 14 days of, of the booster shot. And that's, excuse me, I keep saying booster, excuse me, the injection, the first injection. And the point is it's being admitted to and all these uh, different locations, Alberta, Ontario, and I'll prove it to you today again, that they are choosing to bump that down to unvaccinated and it lists it right in their documentation. So if, if, the, if the majority of the problems are happening in that time period and they're just dumping that down into, into the uninjected, isn't that an obvious manipulation? Yes, especially when you realize that there's no scientific reasoning for why that first 14 period doesn't absolutely apply to the person who just got an experimental injection in their arm. And then you just wait for 14 days, probably because they knew, and I've already shown you this in their studies, that there was a problem there. And that's why a lot of those people got kicked out in the beginning of the study as if they had some other problem or pre-existing condition or whatever they tried to argue. That was also shown. But we're going to go through that data. We're going to start with a little point about the ADL that I actually got wrong today, thinking somebody else was wrong. And I'll go through this today, but show you he found something very important that happened today. They changed the definition again. And we're also going to talk about long haul because they're now pushing back into that conversation because that seems like all they have right now. And I'll show you yet again, the peer reviewed study that discusses that it seems most of these cases that we're seeing their claim are long haul are psychosomatic. And then there's even a new mainstream article talking about how maybe it could be the injection causing these things, but no one's going to want to talk about that. And we're going to end with a little point about digital IDs, vaccine passports that were, that was very relevant in the conversation I had with the convo couch today, which is very interesting and enjoyable conversation. Now, I want to start off before we get into everything else with a quick, re, uh, you know, another shout out to what we're seemingly trying to build here in regard to Twitter. In case you didn't know, I was censored for the second time on Twitter, suspended forever, which is, or permanently suspended, which is an ignorant phrase because it contradicts itself. But they censored us yet again for, for the last show we did, which was all verified peer-reviewed concepts. It's like everything else we talk about. They just don't like it. So I asked people to send me their logins for what we're going to try to start is the T-Lab pirate streams on YouTube or like T-Lab pirate posts here on Twitter. So we, I, I just don't want to have to start another account. I don't, I don't want to keep playing this game where they know you're there and they wait until you build a following and knock you off again, right? So just like with the YouTube pirate streams, I'm finding a way to work around that and still poke through to get people to see it. Now, this account, which is my assistant's account, which I'm totally not using to continue to post on Twitter right now for the time being, as it says, and, you know, right there, <laughs> shh, totally not me. I'm still going to, there, there's still going to be posts coming out right now, especially as you can see, this is pinned right here from the show today, but I've already gotten at least five or six people that have already emailed me, maybe more because I haven't been going through all the emails that are telling that have already given me their login credentials to be able to continue to post on Twitter. Hopefully some of them have larger followings, but I still haven't pieced together how I'm going to make this work because it's the network that really gets the reach on Twitter, but I'm going to figure it out because we need to start finding ways to work around this, the way they just knock you off the table and then start yelling about how they just discovered all the new things and, you know, framing the narrative with all the people out of the way that they don't want to see, but we're still here talking, but the people that won't see it are the ones that don't know it on Twitter. And that's the people we're aiming at. You guys all know this already. But it's still important to, to continue to 
work and find new information and share amongst ourselves. But what are we really here for, right? What's our main goal is to reach that, that one person over there that has no idea what's going on. And that's what Twitter is trying to protect, right? So that's why they're knocking you off as they roll back the narrative. And we're going to get into it today. Long haul, all the different things that we have completely destroyed. They're now slowly trying to grow. They don't want to eat crow. They don't want to come out and say, we were wrong. Looks like T-Lab was right the whole time or whoever else was calling it. They want to be able to knock you out of the way and continue to argue their narrative. So again, another call to reach out if you'd like to be a part of this. Please send me your credentials and I'm going to get back to you. It won't happen immediately because I'm only going to use one every so often. But right now, look for T-Lab Pirate Posts. That's what I'm going to be using on the hashtags if you want to check it out. You know, I, I'm sure they're going to start hiding that hashtag as well. But just so you guys know where we're at on Twitter. But also check us out on Gitter and Parler and Gab and every other platform that they haven't kicked me off of yet. But, and I'll get to this tweet in a second. I didn't mean to click on it just yet. I have that lined up. But just before we get started, I want to give the shout out to this, this panel we had today. It was really interesting. We had a lot of great conversations and indifferencing of opinions and all. It, it was important though, because there's a lot of important things to talk about here. But check it out for yourself. It's a really a great, and, and the Convo Couch has been doing a great job. I really, I want to give them a shout out in general. Now, to start off with a couple of points on censorship slash kind of like, uh, I guess, poetic justice. First of all, breaking news, the U.S. is proposing rules for TikTok and other foreign-owned apps to address security concerns. The change could apply to effectively barring the apps. Now, you know what this feels like to me? Knocking off platforms that are actually allowing information to get through, like TikTok, right? But, you know, as I understand it, even TikTok has been doing some form of censorship or Instagram, whatever else. Instagram's doing a lot of censorship. TikTok has obviously been censoring T-Lab and Stars Clips, like, on a regular basis. Nonetheless, it's a way to, you know, there has been a lot of information coming through. So it's interesting to see. Either way, it's ridiculous for them to be censoring another platform that's coming from another, you know, while they're openly censoring their platform. It's just, it's ridiculous. As always, they're they're hypocrites. But when it comes to a little bit of poetic justice, I find this to be pretty interesting. Oh, look at that. Look at Meta's price has completely tanked. Now, I don't know why. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's surface level reasons they're discussing of some announcement or whatever. But you know what I think? I think it's because people are beginning to recognize that these things are the problem. At least I'm hoping that. And here's another example. PayPal shares slid after the company scrapped an ambitious growth strategy. Stocks fell 26%. And maybe, maybe, just maybe it's because people realize they're a garbage platform that's openly censoring people for political reasons. But, you know, one can hope. Either way, it's nice to see that they're getting it where they deserve it, especially because they are part of the problem today. Now, on the note of censorship, this is the point where I got something wrong today, and I'll show you where after I get through the point. We just talked about this on ADL's website. For those that didn't see the touch, the point we did about this, this is on July 21st, 2020. This is the ADL website and their definition of racism. Here's what it used to say, July 21st, 2020 and before. Racism is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another, that a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. Racial separationism is the belief most of the time based on racism that different races should remain segregated and apart from one another. You know, includes nuance, includes what we've all generally come to understand as the uh, the basic reality of, of racism. It doesn't apply to one race or another, one color, or, you know, one area or another. If anybody anywhere is applying that logic, if you are saying you're this way because of who you are, where you come from, your skin color, then you're a racist. I don't, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, doesn't matter if you're Palestinian, it doesn't matter any of it. You are racist if you look at another group of people and deem the certain person as a certain way because of where they come from or what they look like. It's basic. But of course, we know today that that's been completely turned on its head. Now, you can only be racist if you're white. and all. It's, it's ridiculous. And that's not everybody. 
It's only part of this narrative right now and part of the, you know, what I think is not the majority of what's really going on, but they're trying to force it on you. But here's the point. As we covered just recently, this is what they updated it to, which is just absolutely laugh out loud ridiculous. But this was back on August 7th, 2020. Now, this is what I thought was being posted today. And because there was a lot of people posting this going, look at what they just did. And I just was saying, well, they did it back in 2020. So it's still really important, but let's make sure we're being accurate. And it says racism, the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people, which is just utterly ridiculous. You know why? Because that exact statement is considered racist under their old definition. That's how stupid that is. But here's the most important part. This is February 1st, yesterday, still says it, same point. As of today, look at that. They changed it kind of back. So what does that tell you? That means that they either didn't agree with this, or rather they did, but they realized their own belief was actually racist, so they pulled it back. Or they got pressure, or what do you think? Either way, they basically just admitted that that was wrong. And that's important. Even I know they don't feel that way, because they've openly stated that. But here's what it says. Racism occurs when individuals or institutions show more favorable favorable evaluation or treatment of an individual or group based on race or ethnicity. Yeah, that is light years away from what you just tried to tell us, which is it all it's only against people of color and only when it privileges white people. That is literally racist. So let's make sure we're aware that ADL, based on this statement, is a, is a racist organization if they believe that. Now, if they want to argue and be like, it was a mistake, we got hacked, somebody lied. Well, I'm sure I won't believe that, but nonetheless, just make sure you see that. Here's the, here's the important part that I wanted to say about how I got it wrong, though, and this is a lesson in, for all of us going forward. Before I get there, though, just I can't get past how crazy important that is. Look at how obvious that is in regard to them changing definitions because it suits their agenda and then getting caught, changing it back, or you know, with the same thing that happened with, with vaccine, with herd immunity. I mean, these people are ridiculous. Now, this is the point I want to make because this is important. So I saw this today and I made a mistake that I'm always calling out. And it's important because like I always say, we can all do this. We are all fallible. Somebody pointed this out and saying an ADL, the ADL just changed this definition of racism in response to, you know, and I, I, to be quite honest, I saw that and I assumed, I said, oh, here's the same post from before. That's my fault. And I thought he was talking about the thing that we just covered. So I, ch ch I chimed in, or excuse me, this new different account that's totally not me chimed in and said, incorrect. That was covered before on T-Lab and it was changed back then. And I all followed up by saying, but it's really important. And this person, very kindly, in fact, didn't, was, could have been much meaner about this, said, no, keep up. Yes, it was changed in August 2020, but this is what's just changed again today. So I looked at it. Sure enough, he was correct. And I said, oh, you're correct. Thank you. <laughs> I said, appreciate your patience. Right? It's just, I wanted to make a point here is that we all can make mistakes. And it doesn't mean that that's what I do all the time. I was frustrated and mad at myself because I did it. It was a side point and I was busy. It doesn't matter. We all do it. We all can do it, I should say. And it's all about learning in the moment and going, look, okay, I can't do that anymore, especially right now. We have to be better than them in regard to the in corporate media and whoever else, right? So it's just, it's just it's a learning lesson for me, in fact. And I just wanted to share that with you all. Now, nonetheless, it's really important that this is actually, this is what this organization believes. This is what the mainstream media is selling you right now, at least on one part of it. So just recognize that that is exactly how they feel. And that is crazy, especially when they admit that, oops, that's not actually what we're supposed to say right now. Or at least we said the quiet part loud, <laughs> right? Now, getting into the COVID-19 conversation, 
which of course you can see how this relates to the way they're manipulating everything in front of us, changing things back and forward, left and right, and acting like it's always the same and always makes sense, even though it doesn't. Let's start off with something that's also being admitted that leads right into where we're going in regard to the absolute ridiculously low risk that we're actually dealing with right now. And by the way, always have been, and this is a huge point of today. I'm going to show you a massive flaw in their logic. Oh, I guess a flaw implies it's an accident, a fault in their logic, however you want to play it. It shows you that they're playing this both ways, where in the beginning, of course, we just jumble all together the risk, right? Even though the 80-year-olds have a way higher risk than the 19-year-olds, we're going to average it out and pretend like you're all at a risk that makes sense because that works for their narrative. Otherwise, how can you lock down everybody below 70? It doesn't make sense for them, right? It's very, very ridiculous. Except now I'll show you in their documentation how they're going, blah, blah, blah. You can't look at this information without knowing racial age breakdown differences and biases and unvaccinated. There's so many caveats and it's everything we argued before that's not being applied before still. But of course, it's being applied after vaccination, sort of like we dip different cycle threshold with and from only applies after you get the injection, but not before. I mean, really, I don't understand how anybody's pretending this stuff makes sense anymore. It's childish at this point. But as it says, is COVID really more deadly than the flu? Asking the Guardian, or excuse me, the Guardian, the Telegraph. It was, it says, until Omicron came along. See what I mean? That's blatantly untrue. Now, you could maybe make the argument that in the very beginning, alpha, beta, that you could argue it was and it changed. I don't think that was the case. I still, based on the data we had, based on the injections we know, based on the manipulations were taking place, the, com- the combination of flu, the vanishing flu, pneumonia, false positive PCR test, everything we've talked about, or even like we talked about yesterday, the, the pandemic of the uh, PCR negative hospitalization discussion where people are... in fact, of the people that are being hospitalized getting tested are getting a negative test for COVID-19, yet they're being, they're injected. So we have 76% of the people that are going into the hospital for different reasons being injected. Now you could argue that that doesn't necessarily apply, but you have to admit some of it does. Why do we have all these people with COVID-like illness, they're calling it, in the hospital, but getting tested negative? Now they look at that and go, yay, see, it's working. They don't have COVID, but look at what else they're dealing with. This is my point from before. Heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, all of this stuff. And we're going to get into that again with the long-haul discussion at the end where they're saying that's probably the vaccine. But there's a lot of this that shows you that it's just a game of information that they jump around, they manipulate. But the point is, coming back to the article, that it wasn't just Omicron. It was Delta and it was what it was before when they were telling you this then. And the data backed it up, that it's never been more deadly than the flu for the vast majority of people. It never has been. And the CDC information backed that up the moment they actually released this information. This was back, I believe, at the end of 2020 into 2021. We kept saying that. I kept telling you, the the children were at risk of zero. It was stated as zero statistically on the CDC website because they were at a such a low risk that statistically it rounded to zero. And yet here we are. So what this says is millions of Omicron cases have translated into relatively few deaths, basically changing where we are. Now, the main point, first of all, is to take away that they're admitting, because it works for them in another way, that we're not in a dangerous situation right now, that this is not that dangerous. That's why they're bringing back long haul to try to scare you. But who knows about what could happen? Listen to what it says. It is a question that has plagued the pandemic, sparking furious debate over Britain's dinner tables. Is coronavirus really any more deadly than the flu? Before, Remember, they used to censor you when you asked this question. Now it's okay because they want you to talk about it. Before the vaccine rollout and Omicron surge, the answer was undoubtedly yes. That's not true. At the very least, it's not undoubtedly. There's a huge amount of information that's completely questionable. They're admitting that now. 
for crying out loud. But it says, even at the end of December, the rolling seven-day case fatality rate, of course, not infection fatality rate, because that would be more accurate, wouldn't it? For coronavirus, was about 0.3%. Now, it's funny that they put, I just have to point out when the mainstream media makes a typo, because I do it too, but it's funny. But they do discuss infection fatality rate right beneath this, but this is the point. They want you to focus in on this risk first. And even using case fatality rate, which uses cases, not deaths, which is the important part. That's really what we're talking about. Knowing how manipulated the case concept is. It says the rolling seven-day case fatality rate for coronavirus at the end of December. So just barely in the beginning of Omicron was 0.3%. They say, and that's the average. This is my point. That's averaging it out between the 70s and 80-year-olds and then the, the one to, or the, you know, whatever month years old to 19, which is a one in a million chance of dying. According to Oxford Calculator, the risk is inconsequential. So you can't combine that stuff. That's what we've seen from the beginning. The age difference is so obviously important, you can't combine it up and they give you an average, but they still do that. But even when they do that, it comes out to 0.3%, which is, I mean, we're talking 0.2.3 for the flu anyway, right? And here's what it says right down there. In comparison, the death rate for the flu sits somewhere between 0.1 and 0.2. I've seen 0.2 and 3 on the CDC and and NIH and and uh, post, but it changes, I guess, but, or between one death in 1,000, one death, uh, one death in 500. I don't know. That's interesting. But the point nonetheless, oh, the difference between 0.1.2 is that look at the difference right there. 0.2 to 0.3. That's what we're talking about. That's the pandemic of a century. And even that is combining average risk, which is not, or combining the risk and averaging it out, which is inappropriate in this case, which anybody's telling you right now. But then to the point about the differentiation will first read what this says. However, the situation has changed dramatically in the last few weeks. The millions of cases sparked by the Omicron, the Omicron wave have translated into relatively few deaths, bringing an important change in the deadliness of COVID. Now, here's the point, though. Again, that's just COVID deaths. The problem is that all of these people in the hospital are there for other reasons, and most of them are injected, and nobody wants to talk about that. But as it says, lately, latest case fatality rates in England in the seven days of the January 26th are now just 0.14%. There you go. See, now they're admitting to you, even in their lie, the, the combining of the information, that it's now still below the flu. But, but because Omicron, you see how they're playing this. Then it goes on to say the infection fatality rate, and this is what actually matters. Not that the case fatality rate's in, in, irrelevant, but this is what you should be discussing when you're actually trying to figure out your risk. Infection fatality rate and absolute risk reduction, not relative risk reduction. They're using case fatality rate and relative risk reduction. They're lying to you in every possible way they can. It says the number of deaths for all infections using infection fatality rate. And that's the point. Infection fatality rate is number of deaths for all infections, not just positive cases. Why would you use positive cases and act like that is your risk? Knowing all of the ways it can be manipulated. That's exactly why they do it. But they tell you right here. It is 0.06%. That's right now your actual risk of dying averaged out with Omicron. Amazing how the media is not telling you that when they scream about you how much you're in danger, right? Isn't that crazy? Now, here's the most important part. It was like that before because we have already seen that it was generally about the flu risk for most people when you broke it down by age. And and, and once you get down to basically 30 and below, it goes way below that. So they're absolutely willfully 
manipulating the information to scare you into thinking you're at risk. When all we really have is a, if you even want to believe this is because of what we're talking about, because I think there's much more manipulation in regard to what they did to them, what they forced them into, but it's clearly 70 and above comorbidities and, 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 you know, multiple comorbidities. They've admitted that back in 2020, they even admitted, I think it was like 96% of these people had two or more comorbidities. This is a manipulation. That's why they average it out. Now, the point is Omicron specifically, but realize as I'm saying that it's, it goes long before that. Now, taking that into this conversation of Scotland, and the reason we're focusing on Scotland today is because it's one of the only places that is continuing to give you data that's easy to break down. As we just discussed, and I think it was even just discussed on the high wire, the CDC is willfully making it impossible to break this stuff down, omitting parts that you need to make it all work and come together. It's intentional. So people keep asking, like, why are you going to Scotland? Because it's a very obvious caveat to, or, uh, you know, what's the right word for it? it? It challenges everything else they're doing. This does not make sense with what they're claiming is happening elsewhere. And it doesn't make sense in the UK. It doesn't make sense in Ontario. It doesn't make sense in New South Wales. It doesn't make sense in Iceland. It doesn't make sense in Northern Ireland. We've gone over all of these places, but they just keep going forward. Now, first, before we get into the data of this last month, here's what it says in the red. And this is my point. Data in this table should not be used as a measure of vaccine effectiveness, which is, by the way, literally what this is supposed to be for, due to unaccounted for biases and risk factors in different populations. Well, look at that. Isn't that exactly what we were saying in the beginning? Isn't that exactly what I was just saying they are doing still? Yes. They're combining the risk of every age group and averaging it out and telling you that's your risk for COVID-19. Yet when it comes to their after vaccination risk assessment, they go, oh, no, you can't do it that way. You have to account for different biases and ad- and risk factors in the different age groups and break it down. This is an absolute insult to your intelligence. They are, and, and this is the same point that we keep talking about. Why is it that people who die with COVID versus from COVID only matters after the vaccination? Doesn't that matter before? Of course it does. We keep talking about all this stuff. Why does the cycle threshold for the test 28? when you're after the injection, but over 40 when you don't have the injection, which guarantees you're going to have a lot more false positives on the side of it. I mean, it's obvious. So there it is. And this is one of the things I've been looking for in regard to figuring out why, or, you know, this is a manipulation. They are, they are playing, like basically wondering how we can look at this after the fact and see it differently than before, or different than the other places. And it's pretty plain to me right there. Now, the next part of it is how they're breaking this down, and it's the 14 days after shot and how they're manipulating the deaths and everything. And here's what it says. Vaccination status is determined as the date of positive PCR test according to the definitions described in Apex Appendix uh, 6, which is here, I believe. Let me see if I got the right spot. Yeah. Okay. This is the spot. I just have it cut up, cut up a different spot. So, and it says a confirmed and I'll get, I'll I'll read those, but it says a confirmed COVID-19 related death is defined as an individual who has tested positive by PCR for SARS-CoV-2 at any time, any time point and has COVID-19 listed as an underlying or contributory cause of death in the death certificate. I mean, this is exactly like we're telling you everywhere else in the UK and United States. They're telling you somebody could literally die from a clearly alternate cause. But as long as they argue they had it, which means they argue it contributed to it, and they got tested, it says literally at 
any time point. There's not even a time frame in there. Make sure you recognize what that says. If they simply got a test at any time before this and then die, they go down as a death. That means that you are forever a case. You could die 20 years later, according to this, and it still goes down as a COVID-19 death. They've already been, this has been admitted to in the UK. They already got caught doing this and they, and it didn't change though. So my point here is that this is where this is aggressively being applied to the not injected side. So people are being tested anywhere and they go down as a death. But when they get the injection, that changes the way they perceive this. But just recognize how ridiculously subjective and not accurate that is. We already know how that is being manipulated, even by accident. But going to the next part, actually, there, I want to make sure there was a point I had here. I, let me see what it says. I do this sometimes, I don't forget what I say, but they, so I, I put down essentially that the don't use this to decide efficacy because of unaccounted bias. Oh, it's the same point that I said. I just want to make sure I didn't forget that. That's what it was. That's such an important point to me. They allow us to do it on one side and not the other. That's I was just, re, it's the same point that I just went over. Now, bringing this back to the appendix they were referencing here. Now, this is the most important part in regard to the 14 days after the shot and how it's being bumped back into uninjected, like Alberta admitted to us. It says, please note that this section only includes PCR confirmed COVID-19 cases, COVID-19 related acute hospital admissions and confirmed COVID deaths. Isn't it funny how it's it's confirmed cases, which aren't confirmed. I mean, it's a test with a ridiculously high false positive. And of course, again, that's where the cycle threshold comes into play. You're going to get a lot more of those on the side of the uninjected if you're continuing to test them as much because of the higher cycle threshold and arguably a lot less with the lower on the other side. But even with that manipulation, you're still seeing an overwhelming amount on the side of the injected. That tells you something. But why would it be related? Both the death and the cases are confirmed, but then the hospitalization says COVID-19 related hospitalization. See, they're playing games here. That doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't it be consistent? It's because there's the, the, the related hospitalization is the point we were just getting at. That how people are in there for different reasons. And it's, it's very interesting how they these, these little points they put in there give them ways to play with the data when they want to. I mean, our, the show for the last five months has been basically showing you that over and over. Now it says COVID-19 cases are identified as the following. An individual that is tested positive for COVID-19 by PCR if an individual tests positive more than once, now this is also something we heard in the UK, the repeat positive PCR test is only counted if it's more than 90 days apart. So right there, that tells you, first of all, that people, they're factoring in people who get repeatedly sick. And that's only happening in the injected because people with natural immunity, it's by and large not happening. And that's coming from the WHO, the NIH. They're all reporting this. The media is not telling you that. So people can get sick, or rather not get sick, excuse me, people can get tested as long as it's 90 days apart, and if they get a positive test, that goes down as two cases, even if it's the same person. Even if you're still sick, let's say. Let's say you're sick for four months straight. It doesn't. You're, it goes down as two. But take note of the time frame. 90 days. Interesting how three months is a constant point here. I'm telling you, every day this gets more vindicated that we were calling this back out. Like, well, when did we talk about that? Was that 2020 or maybe the beginning of 2021? When St. Louis accidentally admitted that they were already talking about three month time frames, right? More other places did too, and they deleted them super quick. So what happens when you pay attention? And now it's coming across. Even Australia just told you it's now a three month time frame after the booster. But going forward, it says individuals are listed as unvaccinated 
If there is no vaccination record linked to the unique CHI identifier at the time of analysis. Now that's going to be backed up by another point. All that's really showing you is they're guessing at the unvaccinated number. All these things you're pointing out, by the way, are all little caveats to show you that they don't have, that they have ways of manipulating this. If they undershoot the unvaccinated category, what's that going to do? It's going to make that look much, the problem look larger in that category. So they're guessing at the number. Could they get it wrong? Yes. Could they intentionally make it look small? Yes. We've seen this stuff across the board, but I'm not saying I know that for sure, but they're telling you right there that there's a caveat to it, but it'll make more sense with the next one as well. Now here is the main part. COVID-19 vaccination status is defined as per the following. Dose number one, it goes on to simply say that it's someone who's had one dose and then tested positive more. And it says, it says, uh, and has tested positive for COVID by, by PCR test more than 21 days after their first dose. Scotland's using 21 days. Isn't that interesting? But that's just dose one. Now ask yourself this. How does it make any sense that it would be 14 days after the second dose? Why is it 21 after the first dose and suddenly 14 after dose two? Same thing. Same injection. Same supposed science. You want to know what I think? That's why you're here. Well, because when you look at the breakdown that Alberta admitted to us, 14 days was the bulk, but if you roll that out to 21 days, you catch pretty much all of it. And remember, as we're telling you, that hospitalizations, deaths, cases, the vast majority of what they're seeing, and look at how long this goes. This goes all the way to 360 days, guys. That's including all of it. Two shot, three shot. Okay, my point is the majority of all the problems across the board from the beginning to now, are happening within the first 14 to 20 days of the first shot. This is the main crux of how they're playing the game here. And then they are telling you, as plain as day, that they are choosing to kick those back into unvaccinated. Now, I've made this point elsewhere in regard to how it tells you. Here's Alberta itself telling you that these 56% of the cases were unvaccinated or simply diagnosed within two weeks of the first dose. So that's telling you right there that if it falls before that period, they count that as unvaccinated. And it's not just Alberta. It's everywhere doing this. This is the game. Now, going to the boosters. Well, first, I didn't read dose two. Dose two is the same way, except it's 14 days, right? So you have to have the dose two and then wait 14 days. And if you don't, you're counted as one. That's also what we found out too, is they're doing that in every category. They're kicking this stuff back, which I think sort of represents in the data we're going to get to. Then finally, booster or third dose, it says same thing, more than 14 days after. Otherwise, it gets counted as the two dose. Now unvaccinated. So just so we're clear on that, it's very, very clear. The first dose being the most important part. They're allowing the first, all the problems that happen in the first 21 days are counted as uninjected. There's no misunderstanding that. And they know that you, I mean, I would argue they know if they don't, it's a very self-serving accident that that's where all the problems are happening. One flick of the, I guess one click of the mouse (laughs) and all of a sudden you have the vast majority of all the problems happening in general dumped into unvaccinated, just like that. Unvaccinated, it says an individual that has no doses and is tested positive or has had one dose of COVID vaccine and has tested positive less than or equal to 21 days right there. They even reiterated for you as clear as day. You are considered unvaccinated if you have not waited 21 days after your first dose. 21 days. 
This is a slam dunk, guys. And no one's going to talk about this until, you know, it's allowed to be, I guess, to a certain degree, or Tucker then gets told he can talk about it or however that works. We'll see it dripped out. They kicked us off Twitter now, so they won't be pointed at us. It says, denom- and this is the important part as well, denominator population estimates, because they, they're guessing at the population of the unvaccinated. It says, are calculated as the number of people in each vaccination status. That's, that's called dominator population estimates. Now, this, this is relevant for the bottom part here. But what they're telling you is they're estimating these things. Now, vaccinated, they have an exact number for. But when it comes to uninjected, they don't. And they've admitted this in a lot of different ways. They're estimating based on certain things. And that's what that other post was basically getting at, is that if it's not, they're basically saying that if it's not linked to this identifier, we don't count it. Which, which, by the way, there's a lot of ways that can happen. Accidents lost or just not going through. I mean, I could go, there's a whole discussion to be had there. But then after this, it reiterates this from the other angle. So in regard to this, population denominators are calculated as per the following definitions. As dose one, number of individuals that have had their first dose of COVID vaccine more than 21 days prior to reporting period. Same point. Just from the from the same same discussion. Dose two, same thing, but now 14 days. Dose three, same thing, 14 days afterward. Unvaccinated, it says the unvaccinated population is calculated using the population estimate denominator. They're guessing. Probably self-servingly by oh, whoops, we missed a whole section. Right? We've already seen that happen. Or they're just guessing and getting it wrong. So basically, they're calculating it using the population estimate denominator, which means the number they know they have of injections, and then minusing the sum of all effective vaccinated individuals in dose one, dose two, and dose three booster populations. So right there, again, that is the dose one, 14-day, 21 period is not being included, or rather, excuse me, being dumped in. Then finally, now, by the way, the second part was just really reiterating what the first part said very clearly, but from the other side. So this is not some secret. They're openly saying this. The media just doesn't want you to know this. Now it says this is a particular issue for the denominator for the unvaccinated cohort because for vaccinated individuals, we know they are res- re- were res- resident in Scotland at the time of their injection, whereas for the uninjected cohort, there will be a mixture of people who have chosen not to have the vaccine and those who are no longer resident in Scotland. Meaning, my point They don't know for sure the full population of the uninjected, yet they're guessing at it. It's a perfect way for them to manipulate the total because that's one of the easiest ways to make what's happening in that population look a lot worse. Now, including this tweet, which links to Metatronomers is the person that seems that just first found this linked to his article as well, showing you the breakdown. Actually, I'll just include that since I have it right here. Showing you the breakdown of of the data, showing you that 47.6% of hospitalizations happen within the first 14 days. Break that out to 21, it goes up to 60%. 60%. 60% of all the hospitalizations in general in this area happen within the first 21 days of the first injection. That is incredible. Same point here. for This is for death. Go to 21 days, that goes up to 70%. Look at that. This is easily verifiable, guys. That's why it's important that we have the Wayback Machine because you can see this graph right here on the Alberta website. They're the ones that posted this. But of course, on the up-to-date one from today, it's weird that it just suddenly disappeared. Isn't that interesting? The graph's all gone. It's almost like they don't want you to see it, right? But at, but sure, plain as day, still telling you that they're manipulating it right there. Now, 
This is the important part before we get into the Scotland data that I want you to see. COVID Scotland. This is as of last month, the 7th. What does fully vaccinated mean in Scotland? Now, it hasn't changed as of now. It's the same situation. They're still toying with the idea of what means what because they're desperately trying to keep all the so-called fully injected on their side of this while making sure they know they have to get the other one, which is completely contradictory, like indefinitely suspended, same thing. But it says, passengers will also count as fully injected after receiving just one dose of Johnson, which seems to be ridiculous. At that point, I included because how does that really make sense in regard to the one dose category? right? This category here that talks about one dose, does that include? Yes. So that's interesting for the one shot, even though they try to make that seem like, oh, you can't count that one because that has that's not complete or whatever they try to argue for why we should only be looking at the booster shot right now, which is an obvious manipulation with where the majority of these things are happening within the first 21 days of the first shot. But also that we haven't gotten past that three month period after the, any dose where everything begins to become a problem, right? That's where we're going to get to. And I promise you, we're going to see this happen. But remember, even then, we're going to see some of these kick back down in the same way. They're manipulating. And also what's interesting, you'll note that they're not using that, that fifth, that 14 day period after the booster shot in the United States. I don't even understand. It doesn't make any scientific sense. But before we get to that, here's the main point. The definition of fully vaccinated for the purposes of entering the nightclub or the venues required to ask for COVID or, you know, any discernible reason they're still using these infrastructure remains at two doses. But right now, but they're reviewing it, right? So this is the per- this is the point. If it remains at two doses, as we go through this information, it's important to think about this in that context. And we'll we'll give you both, all sides of this. But when you're discussing fully injected, that applies to two doses. So let's go through this data and show you this. And we're, this is starting with just cases, which of course the first part is showing you that this is an obvious pandemic of the injected. When we can see that the vast, vast majority of cases and the va- and the the risk per one hundred thousand is aggressively on the side of the fully injected, and by the way, also three doses. Because what's ri- what's ridiculous is they're screaming at you to th- that, that, that the boosters are what works. That's what changes everything. Now remember when we were on the two dose period. It was the same situation. They're yelling two doses works. Now the numbers may look high, but look at the, so what, now what we're dealing with is you can see quite clearly for those not on the podcast that the numbers, even of the risk per 100,000, if every single week, that's the per 100,000 risk of getting sick with COVID is higher in every single comparable week to not injected, right? Higher in every single one of them which shows you that completely challenges what they're saying. The numbers are exponentially higher, right? We're looking at 9,000 in the first week for uninjected versus 35,000 in the booster shot category. Now, my point was when it was two doses fully and there was not even a third dose in the the discussion, the same point was being made. Well, that's just cases and that's to be expected because they're the most category, blah, blah, blah. While they're pretending hospitalizations and deaths aren't that way, even though it's clearly that way. And we'll get into that yet again. Here's Ontario with the majority of hospitalizations in the ICU on the side of the injected, even as they lie to you and say it's the opposite. But now that we're on the third booster, the third dose, now they're doing the same thing. Now the two dose one looks way worse in every category, not just cases, hospitalizations and deaths. And now they're going, but the booster, it's more, but don't look at that because that's just an illusion. Look at the hospitalization and death. Just like last time. Then, once this eventually spreads out and the hospitalizations and deaths are also showing in the third booster category, probably there's probably a new variant, probably another shot. They'll look at the fourth one. They'll pretend the third one no longer matters. That's irrational. This matters in every category. 
from one dose to two dose to three dose, every one matters because in every case, you're putting an experimental injection in your arm. So that's why one dose should matter. Then, of course, it should matter when you add them up and average the risk. And it puts you way over the uninjected category. So anybody who's gotten these things in their body are at higher risk of getting sick, first of all, in every possible way. A higher risk per 100,000 and just the majority of numbers, which is almost ridiculous. So here we are. Final tallied report, 12-222. And you can see that there were 149,245 reported cases in this time frame, which, by the way, to compare to last month, is way down. 288,000 last month. Just in general, for between everybody, they, they say anyway. I'm not pretending that I think those are all accurate, but down to 149,000. Yeah, the point is, this is for any, for in every possible metric, this is going way down in regard to COVID. But you see, the problem is their hospitalizations and their deaths and all this is exploding for those that are injected. And they're just trying to hide this from you. And this is what the data says. But look at the breakdown 11.9% of those are in the uninjected. 88.1% of all the cases in Scotland are happening in the fully injected. Now, their argument is, well, that's expected because of the percentage of, okay, wait a minute though. If it's 75% of the population, that's the that's 75% of the, full, the population in general is fully injected in Scotland. So you're telling me that right now it makes sense that, that more than 10% more on top of that number is, is, the, is I mean, even if you said 75% of the population is injected, therefore 75% of the cases should be infected. That doesn't even make sense to me, but whatever. But if it's over their percentage, doesn't that very clearly show you that that's, that's more, that's not working, even within their narrative? Yes, it does. But then you look at the risk. The risk for you, if you're not injected in Scotland right now, is 477 per 100,000. One dose, 671 per 100,000. Two doses, though, is 199 per 100,000. That's more than double. You have more than double the risk if you're fully injected in Scotland of getting sick with COVID. That's their data, very clear. Now, even three doses is more, 653 cases per 100,000. None of that makes sense for their argument. That's not supposed to be how that works. They're supposed to be saying that it's a, a large portion, but it's still on the people that are all at the highest risk. That destroys their narrative. Cases or anything, doesn't matter. It's showing you that this is a pandemic of the injected. They have all the highest risk in every category, and they also have most of the numbers. They are the ones spreading this. In fact, it now appears they're the ones getting the people who don't have natural immunity sick. Going over to hospitalizations, though, because that is undeniable. They're going to try to argue it doesn't make sense because, wait, because you have to risk factors in different populations, which, by the way, again, is a fair argument. But if they're not applying it before COVID and lumping it all in average, why would it apply here? going to hospitalizations. Okay. Unvaccinated, you can clearly see the first week is 46.65 per 100,000 risk. One dose jumps up to 49.59 per 100,000. Then two dose jumps up to 65.23 per 100,000. Your risk is, is 25%, it's, I think it's like 27, but 20, a 25% increase of being hospitalized if you're fully injected. How does that add up with their narrative at all? Now ask yourself this on top of that, even though they're trying to sell you the third one just makes it all come together, even though again, we'll show you why, how that's already been admitted to not be true while they're trying to rush out the thing that's going to make that work because they know it doesn't work while they're trying to tell you it works at the same time. It's ridiculous, which I mean, they're Omicron focused injection. But let me ask you this, for those of us that haven't gotten these, 
I mean, where is the logic that says that we should rush out and get two more doses or one or two dose that for the next month and a half that will be at such a greatly increased risk based on everything we're seeing, at least if you're in Scotland, why would I rush out and get one or two if I'm literally looking at your data showing me that that is exactly what puts me at the most risk? Just so I can eventually reach a third dose a month and a half from now that won't even actually make sense anymore. I mean, there's no logic to that. That's why right now this is totally stalled because people are going, why in the world would I go out and get one dose right now and increase my risk because you tell me three is where it's at? Just unbelievable. But let's get into the data in hospitalizations. And oh, the point being, as you can see, the risk per 100,000 in the third one is lower. But this is my point in this. This is where I think we're going to see this. First of all, recognize that they're dumping back. That that first period, 14, 21-day period, it, as far as I could tell by the data, applies to every shot. It's just that first one, that first from nothing to dangerous, is where everything happens in majority. But other, it's, you see spikes in every other one. That's why we'll get to this in a second more, because after, especially after 30 days after it, it, it just jumps up and explodes. We'll come back to that in a second. But dumping these things backward into two is an easy way to hide what's happening right in the beginning of the third dose. And then we haven't gotten, for most people, past that 90-day period, right? That's important. We're talking Omicron November, right? We're right about to get there, I think, and we're going to see this. And But then we should always ask whether or not they're just blatantly misrepresenting the information, right? They, we should ask that in any sense, especially if things actually work. We should ask that right now for those that want to say we're only applying logic one way, right? We, we could apply that same skepticism. Is this wrong because they're lying for their own or who knows? We have to think about that stuff. But here's the number in hospitalizations. What's funny is people that think we're conspiracy theorists hear stuff like that and they think that's so stupid, even though that's what objectivity sounds like. They just don't understand that anymore. In ho hospitalizations in this time frame, and the time frame is January 1st to January 28th, 2,915. Again, compared to hospitalizations last time, it actually went up by 800, it looks like. Okay, and then the percentage breakdown. 514 of those hospitalizations were in the uninjected. That's 18%. 2,401 of those injections in that month period were in the fully injected, or just, excuse me, the injected in general. Anybody that got an injection, that's 82%, which is up from last month from 75. That's what you're going to keep seeing. In every category, as the numbers fluctuate, what doesn't change is that it's continuing to grow. The percentage of every category is happening more and more in the injected category, even though the percentage is basically saying, you know, going up by point something percent every so many, just like before. They're driving people to this, but eventually we're going to get to such a high number and it's going to be like 75.8 or 9 or 10, and it doesn't add up. How can you have, uh, in this case, 82% of the hospitalizations in the fully injected category, yet only 75% of the population is injected. That challenges their narrative. But then the risk. Uninjected, your risk is 34 per 100,000. 34 hospitalizations per 100,000. One dose, that jumps to 36 per 100,000. Two doses, 46 per 100,000. 46. That's the 25% increase. I feel like I said that inaccurately about something else a moment ago. Just so we're clear, if I said it wrong before, the title is exactly what the point is. It's a two-time increase for cases, 25% increase in hospitalization, and then we're going to get to the deaths in a second, which is two times. But 46. How do you not see that the increase for two doses? So hot, fully injected in Scotland has a 
25 or 27%, I think is what it was, increase in the risk. Now then, of course, three dose, they argue, is the risk goes down to 11. But of course, then that's also where we point out that the, that the numbers are higher still, which still is relevant, even with their argument, right? I've always maintained that both of those are relevant, right? I don't, I don't know why it makes sense that you would have the vast majority of any problem in, a, in an area that's supposed to be safe from this. It doesn't make any sense. Their argument has always been that nothing's perfect, so you're going to have a proportion of it that, that, you know, a relative proportion. They never meant the majority. Now they're just trying to pretend like that makes sense. But here we are right here. Hospitalizations first week, 422 versus 179 in the uninjected. Then if you get further in, it goes down to 82 in week, the, in week four of this month, 82 in the uninjected, 257 in the booster area. It just, I mean, it's, it's obvious this doesn't make sense in what they're saying. But getting down to deaths, which is also really, I mean, that's the most important part of this because that's ultimately we're all trying to, you know, the risk is the death. Obviously, there's risk in everything else as well. But if we're really breaking down the risk in general of what we're all running, you know, the break the risk that you present to the population, you break it down based on the death. In this month period, 359 deaths versus 240 from last month. 56 of them were in the uninjected, 19 percent. 194 of them were in the un, when the it fully injected. That's 81% where it was also 81 last month. 7.8 deaths per 100,000 in the uninjected category, whereas it's only 6.2 in the one dose, but it jumps up to 12.3 per 100,000 in the two dose. Now, the point before to remember in regard to the 14 day to 21 day period, that's what's interesting about this. Like, I'm super, like, realize that they're doing that in every category to go back to the hospitalizations or rather to look at it this way, they're doing that in every category. And even though they're doing that, you still have a higher risk in the per 100,000 compared to one no dose versus one dose. Even though they're doing that, think about how crazy that is. You're dumping most of the problem back into the non-injected category, which is what, again, that's why I made sure to show you this before we got into it. They're telling you that right there as plain as day. So just imagine what that number would actually look like if it was including everything that happened from day one after the injection. It, I mean, from, it would probably, in my opinion, like four per 100,000 compared to 70, something like that. I mean, come on, it's very clear. But I, I, I don't want to guess at this stuff, but you can cl- plainly see that it would be more. Now, that is obvious, guys. It's just unbelievably ridiculous. Yet here we are, we're pretending that this makes sense. Now, the case part of it, again, is the real focal point in regard to the pandemic of the injected. If we're really talking about what keeps this spreading, if you believe that's what's happening, based on their narrative, it's anybody getting sick. It doesn't have to be somebody who doesn't have an injection. Their original argument was that they, as we played at the beginning, they keep telling, you're not going to be in the ICU. You're not going to go to sick. Yep, yep, yep. And yep, it's all happening. And it was before Omicron. They just hid it from you. So clearly, this is the only thing we're staring at in regard to the manipulation and that percentage they keep trying to hide behind doesn't make sense with their narrative. And just to include the UK data, which I believe the new one comes out tomorrow, so I'll maybe doing that again. This is the manipulation right here. See how they bumped it up to three doses compared to one, or excuse me, no dose compared to three. You know why? Because just like in Scotland, the two dose compared to none is exploding. You're looking at them with all the issues. So all they do is just hide it. But even when they do that, you can still see the risk of getting sick, which is cases here, 
is almost double in every category. It's just as simple as it could possibly be. And all they're doing is going, don't read that for how it looks. Just believe what we tell you it's supposed to think or supposed to mean. Now, in Ontario, let's just put another example out there of how they're pretending things right now still. Here on this I have the do to blog chat or excuse me, post or account. The star posted today from Ontario that Ontario was reporting 2,939 people hospitalized with COVID and 555 in the ICU, and we should all be super scared about that. But of course, as I say, what they always leave out is what is actually happening, right? Why don't you let people know that those are people, most of them, that are injected? Of course not, because that's not what they want you to hear. They just want you to be scared and assume that's people that are uninjected because all they do is come out on the news and say, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated and they're all in the ICU and they just say that. So the people that want to believe it, read this and go, I knew it, all those unvaxxers. But it's not true. As I said, as always, the part they leave out of the context, the contextless fear mongering is that well over 50% of those in the ICU are fully injected and have been consistently, according to their data, for months now. Yet they still keep saying the ICO, ICU is overwhelmed with unvaxxed, just like Biden keeps saying and everybody else keeps saying. Here's the up-to-date information. 182 uninjected, 219 fully injected. You have the majority, well over 50%, in the ICU, fully injected and partially on top of that. Then again, this seems to be pretty sta- just static. More than 75% of the people in the hospital are people that we have injections, most of them fully. I don't know how we continue to pretend like they're lying blatantly on the news right in front of you. And I show this too. Even Ontario, it shows you the risk breakdown right there. Uninjected, 78.14 per 100,000. Fully injected, 101.4. Your risk is higher. A quarter again higher, like it seems to correlate with everything else we're looking at. It is the fact this is being shown with even when they're trying to hide it right now. That's how obvious this is. Now, what I was saying about Australia seems to back up that they're recognizing this problem. They are, well, I mean, this is the the point that I think they're all trying to run from right now, is that after 30 days, excuse me, three months, 90 days, these people that are injected start going haywire. That's what this shows you. And this is why I think this just happened. Take a listen to what you said. I want to begin with an extraordinary number. 94% of New Zealanders aged over 12 are fully vaccinated. Right. And that's and then even though they're fully injected, they're still somewhat having it. They're still having problems and hospitals and cases and guts and everything. So exploding and we're locking down because we're all in danger. Was that supposed to be herd immunity at 70 percent? And listen to what she says next. This is ridiculous. A year ago, achieving that level of community immunity would have been considered incredibly ambitious. Did she just call it community immunity? I mean, are you, are you, you're literally complaining right now in Australia, or excuse me, New Zealand, we're talking about the pandemic of the uninjected and all this stuff is happening. And, and yet you are rather, and also that first part actually didn't apply to what I was saying in that we're talking about the cases and the spreading and all that, right? In New Zealand, it's the same way. So right now, if you're seeing cases continue to rise and at least, and, and we're seeing that in the fully injected, how can you call that immunity? Because it's just a talking point. She's talking about the percentage of people injected as if that means immunity. So therefore, 94% is community immunity. But what's actually happening just completely challenges that. But you see, it's narrative versus reality. But her point is in regard to the three-month period she's going to get to right now. Good considered incredibly ambitious. But the overwhelming majority of the team of 5 million have done what they've done best this entire pandemic. 
banded together and turned out to get vaccinated, not just from the, for themselves, but to keep their loved ones and communities safe. Right. So they have a higher viral load. They don't have sterilizing immunity. They can still try and catch it. And in fact, are the majority of the cases doing so. But yeah, protected. And to everyone who's done that, we say thank you. Those high rates of vaccination helped stop a Delta outbreak and have literally did not. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life because they're, see, they're just pretending like we don't have any way of looking at Delta now because we're consumed with Omicron. I mean, they're just blatantly lying, and that's not true. These injections in regard to Delta, this is the same game they're playing now by simultaneously hyping up that Omicron could be more dangerous while knowing that it's not. So when they see it go down, they go, see, it's working. Delta was verifiably less dangerous based on the current, the reality of the information in front of us, based on the, the, the cases being reported and having no discernible increase in any problem. That, and then they said, see, it worked. No, it didn't, because what we did see is an explosion of every other problem in the people taking the injections, which, again, doesn't get included in the conversation around COVID. It's all a game of information. They've given us a head start on Omicron before it's had the opportunity to become widespread. But the science now tells us that to reduce the risk of Omicron, we need to get the number of people boosted as high as possible and before the outbreak really takes off. To that end today, I can confirm that based on advice from the Director General and the COVID Vaccine Technical Advisory Group, from which we have Dr Ian Town here with us today, we will further reduce the interval between the second dose and the booster to three months. Confirm that based on advice from the Director General and the COVID Vaccine Technical Advisory Group, from which we have Dr Ian Town here with us today, we will further reduce the interval between the second dose and the booster to three months. Oh, I was trying to go back from further. This from this Omicron before it's had the opportunity to become widespread. That's the point. Oh, wait, hold on, I think. But the science now tells yeah. us that to reduce the risk of Omicron, we need to get the number of people boosted as high as possible and before the outbreak really takes off. That's what I'm talking about. To that end today, I can Let's confirm... Not- that based on- let's, let's, let's be clear that this is what she's referring to. So we know Omicron is less dangerous. That's what they're admitting. And even the data is undeniably showing. So what are we exactly concerned about breaking out? Like before it goes crazy. That. That is what she's talking about. This, even on Moderna, is what she's talking about. A 39% increase in your risk of getting sick after taking, after th- three months after taking Moderna. Or in regard to Pfizer, or in, in regard specifically to Omicron. Pfizer, after, not, after three months, a 76% increase of your risk. That's not even including the doubling of risk of cardiac event in general, the 50% increase of getting sick in the beginning, first 12, 9 to 12 days, the general dysregulation of your immune system, and all the different things that have been proven by peer-reviewed science that we're talking about here today. She's, point, she's pointing at this. Listen to it again. Make sure that, I mean, this is very clear. In my, in my opinion, like I'm not saying, that you could read this however you want, but take it in the context of after that period, the data has already shown that this is going to explode. And now she's rolling it back to three months to stop Omicron that's not dangerous from exploding. Read between the lines. We need to get the number of people boosted as high as possible and before the outbreak really takes off. To that end today, I can confirm that based on advice from the Director General and the COVID Vaccine Technical Advisory Group, from which we have Dr Ian Town here with us today, we will further reduce the interval between the second dose 
and the booster to three months. From this Friday, the 4th of February, if you are aged 18 and over and had your second vaccination at least three months ago, you can have your booster dose. That means if you received your second dose before or on the 3rd of November 2021, from Friday, you'll be eligible to get your booster. It means that on Friday, 1 million more New Zealanders will be able to get their booster. It also means around an extra 100,000 Māori will be eligible for a booster, representing a 59% increase in Māori eligibility from Friday. And an additional 52,000 Pacific people will be eligible, representing a 47% increase. That brings us to a total of just over 3 million New Zealanders, or 76% of... Yeah, well, there's another point now. I don't want, I'm, I'm just tired of listening to your talk. <laughs> the reality is quite clearly that they're rolling this back to three months, just like we told you would happen, just like we continued to reiterate from the beginning of 2021, that it was always about three months. The three-month time frame was when you were no longer considered fully injected. Now, I think this is actually the wrong page. Yeah, it looks like this is the one that got rolled back. Hold on. Saved that somewhere. Now, where did I save that? St. Louis. Oh, oh, that's what it was. STL. There we go. Boom. Okay. Here is why we said that. Now, we caught this a long time ago, as you all know. Interesting how many of you were frustrated that I kept pointing at this and how suddenly it's very, very clear that this was always relevant, right? Fourth Amendment, Fourth Amended Quarantine and Isolation Order, which is this is important in its own right, showing you how they're just writing arbitrary emergency laws that allow them to just do whatever they want. But in their definitions around what gave them the ability to lock you up, it was always posted. And remember, this was back on February 2021. And there was two other ones that I always say this that I wasn't able to save. It says very clearly, fully vaccinated means, and this is the whole thing, about 14 days, the same thing. But at the end, there was another part that people weren't hearing. After three months from the last dose, you're no longer fully vaccinated. Now, why would that be? Why would we put, why would they write that and then delete it in a rush? And now we can see a, a year later, I mean, what, six months? Yeah, I mean, almost a year. It is almost a year later. It's February. That they now it fleshes out to be obviously relevant. I mean, we need to start beginning to realize that there has been coordination to this. There's been things that they knew. And I think what this is showing us is that they did know that there was a problem. And this is what they were trying to run from. That's why they didn't do animal studies. That's why they tried to hide the information from you. That's why they're trying to wait 70 till 2076 to roll out the information. They're hiding stuff, guys. But here they are admitting that as they try to run from the problem they've created. Or, you know, think for yourself. Whatever you want to think is happening, the point is that the data is there for you. Come to your own conclusions about it. Now, this is one thing I wanted to include. I forget why I put this on this category. I think I just forgot that it was there, <laughs> but I want to, I wanted to play this nonetheless. This is, let me make sure I didn't skip Pat. Okay, good. This is a clip in regard to, oh, that's right. I put this here because we're talking about the injections in general, right? And I think it's very obvious that it, even the mainstream now is admitting that there's not any very clear cut reality about how the unvaxxed are super danger and, and the vaccinated are super protected. Even though the, the average person on the street that's not listening to anything other than the mainstream media will say that, it's all very clearly coming out that this is not as clear cut as they want it to be. But nonetheless, they're still towing the line in the hospitals and places like this. And listen to what this lady has to say and in regard to sick children in the hospital and parents who aren't injected. Knowing everything we just discussed, 
parents who are un West Australian parents who are unvaccinated will be banned from seeing their own sick children in the state's hospitals under the new strict laws drawn up by Premier Mark McGowan. The tough new rules will come into play from January 31. Only those with exemptions from the vaccine or under compassionate grounds, including end-of-life visits, will be allowed to step inside the hospitals, which includes visiting their own kids. What we have known for some time is that from January 31, the measures will be ramped up even more. We also know that the one thing the Premiers and the Prime Minister, for that matter, have been united on is the need to get vaccinated. So it becomes the ultimate test, doesn't it? If you're unvaccinated and you're going to what's deemed a high-risk area, i.e. a hospital or an aged care facility, the ability to go and see your loved one if you're unvaccinated may well be taken away from you. And Taken away from you. Right, these horrific fascist authoritarians are acting like this is for you. Right, this we're doing this for you because we care about you as we remove your right to see your dying family. Or let's be clear about that, though. The idea that, oh, yeah, they're dying, we'll, we'll give you an exception. Oh, so, so we can't do this because we're going to put everyone's lives at risk, but, he, but there's an exception because we care. Like, why does that even make sense? Or on top of that, I mean, it's just, I, it just, this really does get to me in a way because of the idea of a child that is alone and, and scared and you're, and you're making, you're, this is punitive with everything we know, especially since the people that are like this, who don't have the injections are more likely safer with the actual immunity. On top of that, the people that have the injections are still just as capable of spreading it. In fact, much higher right now. The data shows you they have a higher risk of getting people sick. And they're telling you the people that have a lower risk of getting people sick can't come in. That's disgusting. The real Danny Marshall in the chat. Welcome, brother. Could that be the trigger to make you change your mind? And I guess that's the force at play here. Oh, see, exactly. So we're using it to, to coerce you into changing your mind. We're using your dying child or your sickly child to manipulate you into doing what we want you to do because we're good people, right? It's a tough decision, isn't it? What would a parent do? Confronted by that, would it make you change your philosophy? Maybe it would, and maybe that's what the government are banking on. Yeah, exactly. See, they're just admitting it. We're doing it to coerce people. How, that, that is sinister. I mean, absolutely vile. My God. Now, we're talking about you know things that they're trying to do to, to keep you safe, right? That's what all this is about. We're all just trying to keep you safe. Except that's really the opposite of what they're doing. Because if they were really trying to keep you safe and healthy, they would be trying to tell you from day one that what you should have done is be healthy. Exercise, right? Drink lots of water. Take vitamin D, vitamin C. Do things that actually we know in every possible way, regardless of what you're fighting off, will help you. Except they didn't do that. Anybody that came out and said these things were challenged as conspiracy theorists. But here's a BMJ study that's now finding that way after the fact because it's always been the case. A study found that people with a body mass index of 23 had the lowest risk of admission to hospital, intensive care, or death with COVID-19. As body mass index increased, so did the risk of poorer outcomes following COVID. Just to be careful, we all the you know the you know sensitive baby ears out there. We're talking about fat people, okay? If you're if you're if you're overweight, you are at a higher risk of going to the hospital getting sick or dying from COVID-19. Shocker, because that applies to literally anything else that affects your immune system, your body, or whatever else. 
right? Now, it shouldn't, like, if, if somebody's out there that's overweight and takes offense by that, it's well within your power to make a choice. Now, I'm not trying to insult anybody. I myself have lost a lot of weight since the beginning of this just because I felt there was a good reason to jump into it. We should all be striving to better ourselves in every way. If you want to be like that, it's your choice, and I respect it. It doesn't even matter. The point is just recognize that that is one of the highest reasons why people are actually getting sick, and all they want to do is say, do nothing, take some aspirin, and let us know when you start to die. Oh, and also things like, you know, illegalizing vitamin D for any disease, because that totally makes sense today, doesn't it? Literally looking right at it from the Department of Justice saying, stop, we're ordering them to stop selling vitamin D products for COVID and other diseases. Seriously. This is back in January 8th, 2021. I'll, I'll include the peer-reviewed science that points out why vitamin D is the best thing for your immune system. Well, just doesn't matter about that stuff though, right? Fake news. I'll include that. You can read it for yourself. I did a whole point on this in the past. Or the idea that they're, oh, and, and to, to kind of finish out before the, the digital ID point here, guys, the, the, the law, now that they're very clearly recognizing that this stuff is, is hard to justify and it's getting less in general, except for the other problems, ar other problems about ar around the injections or after the injections, that they're shifting back into long haul, right? Now, here's a clip that I'm going to play. That, that shows you Fauci and them discussing, I think it was from today, the exact idea of long haul, right? Except we already know, based on the last peer review study that showed you this, and well, there's plenty of other examples, that it's questionable. At the very least, it's questionable. And I'll show you that next, but let's listen to what they have to say first. Research about uh, treatment availability and, um, and, and accreditation of clinics offering that treatment. Dr. Fauci, long COVID treatments. Yeah, there is a very large study that's been initiated some time ago, um, the RECOVER study uh, at the NIH in collaboration with other agencies, looking at the incidence, the prevalence, and hopefully understanding the pathogenic mechanisms of long COVID. Right now, the data are starting to come in. It's too early to make any definitive statements, but for those... But the peer-reviewed science has already done that. But, you know, I guess he just missed that. Those individuals, and as you know, long COVID... Well, I shouldn't say definitive, but the fact that he's acting like there's nothing but what they're working on and we don't know until this comes out is always what they do. Like, he, this is exactly his stance on natural unity. Well, we don't know for sure when the, when the science hasn't been settled. Well, yeah, there's like 45 peer-reviewed studies. It's probably not 45. Like, realistically, probably... Maybe like 14. Like, I've, I mean, you guys know I've gone over all of them on the show and all of them find robust, lasting immunity to, for the rest of your life. TSL, immunity, memory B, all of it. Nasal mucosal, all of it. For all the variants of concern, blah, all of it. <laughs> and they just keep going, we don't know. One of those is an NIH study, mind you, that came out in January 2021. But it doesn't matter. It's all fake news unless Fauci says so, right? It means the it's too early to make any definitive statements but for those individuals, and as you know, long COVID means the persistence of signs and symptoms that are not explainable by any ready, readily recognizable pathogenic process following the recovery from the acute infection. Now, isn't that interesting? Do you hear what he just said? So very clearly, we're acknowledging that it, we don't know it's connected to COVID, but just something anywhere out there that doesn't seem associated with anything we could point to after you get sick with COVID. We're calling anything like that COVID long haul. Do you think how stupid that is? That's just as open and subjective as everything we did before COVID or before the shot, I should say. So we're just erring on the side of anything. We're just scooping up everything. That's all for your safety. And then after the fact that we're changing everything, slowing the cycle threshold, and you know, it's a game. 
Now, what we're going to get into next is what will show that, especially the fact that the Express article that talks about how about we consider the injection itself, right? Where we know it's causing blood clots, or at least they admit that it can, except when we have examples of it, they dismiss it as fake news, even though they're admitting it's possible, which is ridiculous. But what about that? So somebody gets the injection, then have all these problems that you claim you can't associate with any discernible thing, then that becomes long haul, doesn't it? He just said that. Listen again. Of signs and symptoms. Individuals, and as you know, long COVID means the persistence of signs and symptoms that are not explainable by any readily recognizable pathogenic process. Not recognizable by any, or uh, what is the, not by any path, any process, right? So it's not clearly connected to COVID if it's not any process. Why wouldn't the injection be asked or included or considered? The same reason that it's not considered in every other logical place that it should be. Following the recovery from the acute infection, there have been subject, some suggestions that it is an aberrant inflammatory response, perhaps some element of autoimmunity, perhaps some element of persistence of nucleotide fragments from the virus. All of these now are being actively pursued. But- yeah, and you know what that kind of sounds like to me? what we're seeing after the injection, right? Even the immune deficiency. I mean, this is this is ridiculous that we can admit that everything you just listed can be caused by the injection, yet we pretend it's irrational to think that it might that that might be the injection. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, like every other part of this. But here's what we've shown you many times. And this doesn't make it fair. This isn't just the only thing that matters. But the point is that this is a peer-reviewed study on the JAMA Network from November 8, 2021, that is saying Just to cut right to the chase, the findings of this cross-sectional analysis of a large population-based French cohort suggest that persistent physical symptoms after COVID-19 infection may be associated more with the belief in having been infected with SARS-CoV-2 than with actually having SARS-CoV-2, or rather they put it as having laboratory-confirmed infection. Then read the study for yourself because it's much more, it gets into very interesting points about how almost all everyone we're talking about that they actually looked into that claimed they had long haul. When they dug in, it turned out none of them had been, or I think it's the, almost all of them had not been proven to have had it. But even that means a PCR test as always. But everyone that did have that, that said we could prove it, every one of them only ended up having the taste and smell issue, which by the way, the flu causes too. So that's pretty interesting. Why won't they consider that? I thought we were supposed to trust the science, right? Where are the other? Show me the other one. Show me what to compare this to. This is telling us psychosomatic, but they don't care about that because long haul is an easy way to keep this going. We don't know. It could kill you for free. It could hurt you in 40 years for all. Yeah. So could the injection, but it's funny how we're only focusing on what we don't know about the long haul after. I mean, it's, it's obviously self-serving, but here's a really interesting article that just came out. This is January 24th. Long haul. Could your lingering symptoms be a side effect from the vaccine? Well, that's interesting. You never would have seen this on mainstream up until now, right? But here's what it says. One study done on animals supports the idea that antibodies targeting the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, the same protein that many vaccines use to trigger a protective immune response, might cause collateral damage, says Harold Proust, a neurologist at the German Center for Neurodegenerative Diseases, and the uh, Charit University Hospital in Berlin. So, you know, a very highly credentialed expert. So he's telling you 
that this could cause antibody dependent enhancement. You could, you could have just, just like we played many times, like Dr. Cole will tell you that if you do this and it triggers a response for antibodies that you don't need, well, he says, he says, sit back, get the popcorn because you're going to watch a horrible thing roll through the population. Fauci admitted this in the beginning with his interview with, with, uh, Mr. Meta Zuckerberg, where he openly said before we got here that this is what could happen, right? If you do it with the wrong antibodies, that could cause a problem. Well, here we are, guys, where we're still being pushed an injection. They even just approved the Moderna that still is based on the original Wuhan isolate right now. That makes no sense because they're admitting to you, even that Atlantic article said we can't take another one based on it because it's not valid anymore. So my point again, why would we rush out and get one and two and three? and dive into a situation that's increasing our risk for something that's not going to work for what they're telling you is currently happening. It's crazy. But another expert telling you that can happen. But here's what he says going forward. In 2020, while hunting for antibody therapies for COVID-19, he and his colleagues discovered that of 18 antibodies they identified with potent effects against SARS-CoV-2, four also targeted healthy tissues in mice. Why aren't we hearing that conversation in the mainstream? What they're literally telling you is some of these antibodies, even the ones that might actually fight this, could hurt your body. That's not even including the ones that you might make for things that aren't helping your body, which would also hurt you because you don't need them. That's pretty interesting. But a potential warning sign that could trigger autoimmune problems. Didn't Fauci just say that? Right? Doesn't mean it's proof. But what it does mean is that there's an obvious... Hope I'm not losing you guys here. Okay, good. Felt like this. It was freezing on me for a second. What it shows you is an obvious connection to what they're calling long haul and what we know these injections can do. They've admitted to. But it says, uh, Pretorius, the, one of the doctors, also noted some patients, fewer than 20, they claim, with similar chronic problems following vaccination. Well, this is what they have in front of them. Obviously, if you look at theirs or any one of these reporting systems, it's <laughs> insultingly more than 20. She says these include long COVID-like symptoms, such as brain fog, as well as other clotting concerns like deep vein thrombosis. Look at that. Now, be very clear about this. Even though they're only saying fewer than 20, what they're telling you beyond a doubt is that this doctor is admitting that these people who got the injection had things that looked like long COVID symptoms, but it was caused by the injection. That's what he's telling you right there. So, as I always say, the degree to which this is important, that's what you can discuss, but we cannot pretend that we know long haul is only this when we have stuff like this in front of us. But they'll do that because they will never admit the vaccine's doing anything unless we drag them through the mud, through an entire football field, and then they're only going to go, but only a fraction of what you said. Like, only cloth masks don't work. That's how that works. And then we have to spend another football field to continue to argue that, oh, it's N95s too, and they'll call us fake news until eventually, if we get there, they admit that too. But then we've been censored 45 times more and you know, we're on 30 other documents. This is a, they do this on purpose. Finally, it says the cause of the very rare but severe clotting after the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines remains unknown. I don't even, I actually completely disagree with that. Unknown? Are we really pretending we don't know what's causing this? It's quite obvious what's causing this. The spike protein, the mRNA, the nanoparticles, all of this are showing quite clearly to lead to blood clots. But we're only pointing at AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson because those are the ones we want you to think are bad. Clearly, Bayer's, everything else? Look at the reports, guys. It is so slanted towards the mRNA vaccines, it is embarrassing. Praturius suspects all COVID vaccines might also trigger the same thing. There you go. She says she has preliminary evidence that vaccination can lead to microclots. We already know this stuff, by the way, although in most cases they go unnoticed and quickly disappear. But Dr. Bakhti would tell you that's not something to, to, to you know, dismiss. 
You have something going on, rush in there because it could be a blood clot. And he was one of the first ones calling this out. And in fact, she and her colleagues saw in her own blood, in her own blood, guys, and that eight of other healthy volunteers, which they sampled after the vaccinations. So these doctors and eight other people they tested already saw blood clots forming after the injections in their bodies. But yeah, we're all crazy and and fake news, right? Because we're pointing out that this is something that's potentially dangerous while Fauci is completely ignoring these risks. So who's actually the dangerous one here? Now, finally, just to kind of rattle these off as we finish, guys, we were talking about this today on the on the panel. And I, I kind of rattled these off at the end of the show, in fact, but we need to see that this isn't going away, right? I was, I've been saying this from the beginning, that the mandate discussion of the force from the federal, federal government, I never really saw that happening. Even though I, I, if they got it, they probably would happily use it. The point is that regardless of that, it's still going forward. While we, I guess the partisan media and independent media somehow argue that we're past that. But here we go. U.S. Army is already beginning to discharge soldiers who refuse the injection. So it's very clearly happening, regardless of whether they have an official mandate. It's happening. They're, and this despite the evidence we have in front of us. You're getting rid of the people that likely have the best protection right now. But that doesn't matter. It's narrative. And as I said, you see the agenda has not stopped. Only narrative has shifted. And what's crazy is that everything they are half admitting right now directly challenges the logic of this wildly unscientific move. And they're only half admitting it. But here we are, nonetheless. TLAV pirate posts. And it continues. Forbes, despite Supreme Court ruling, most employers implemented COVID vaccine mandates anyway. Yeah, exactly like we predicted would happen. That's their blocked page. Here's the Lancet with a recent post simply saying the next steps for the mandate. That was January 29th. And here it says, even without a vaccine or test mandate, private employers in most states can still require employees to get vaccinated or tested for the It's th- That was always the point. This is your fortified retreat. So we beat the mandate and then fall comfortably back into this? Well, they hope we do, don't they? Biden doubles down on vaccine mandates. Oh, excuse me, this is actually from October 8th, but it's still it's still relevant to where we are. Th- these are just all the certain points out there right now. And Biden's administration is very clearly telling the, I mean, they just came out and basically said, do it anyway. Which is, by the way, I think what was always meant to happen. But this was the point of the digital ID, quietly and over some obligation, uh, objections. And we this is from before as well. We, are, we did an entire show on this. This is back from January 13th. A national digital vaccine card has emerged. And Decentralized ID at all costs. Advisor quits ID 2020 over blockchain fixation. This was back from September 2014, 2021. And this is simply to reiterate the point that she was calling this out back then. ID 2020 was always an international, or excuse me, a national ID for anybody, no matter what state they were in. And it was always meant to be tied to your vaccine status. That was listed on their documentation. We've shown you entire shows about that. And she left the entire thing calling this techno solutionism as they were trying to tie in blockchain and everything else to vaccine passports under guise of COVID-19. And she raised the alarm. (laughs) Stupid website. There it goes. And here we are today watching it come to pass. Here's my coverage of it. ID 2020 defector speaks on techno solutionism with immunity passports. It's where we are. Actually, I'm just realizing right now, I think I might have said that this page as well on the panel today was about the just the na- the digital ID. This, I, picked, I pulled up the wrong one. There, is, there right now, is, we, you remember we did a show on this as well. Uh, independent of the vaccine card, they're already rolling out the idea of a national digital ID, just independent of COVID-19. 
But it all stems back to this, right? And this all ties back to this. And this ties forward into the Great Reset technocratic future that they're openly telling you they're building if you have the eye, if you have the ears to hear it, the eyes to see it, it's happening in front of you right now. This this information is very important, guys. I think it's very clear that this is, I mean, th- this is the psychosis. This is the this is the reality of people willfully disregarding things that are sitting right in front of them. And it's not the, the beginning of this was sort of like the fringe guy in his basement, or you know, here's a Twitter post that says one thing that you should listen to, and they're like, oh, you fringe conspiracy theorists. That's not what's happening though. As you all know, even then, that's not really what was happening. But now we're we're literally looking at data directly from the government, even though that doesn't mean we're trusting it blindly. We're using it because even that challenges their narrative, even knowing they're manipulating that first 14 to 21 day period now. It's just very, very obvious. We're waving peer-reviewed science in front of them as they claim there's no evidence ivermectin works. And we're like, here's a study pointing at 20 random controlled trials since COVID that literally find that it has an effect on COVID-19. And how can he stand there and say there's nothing? right? It's a choice to ignore this right now. And it, that tells me that there's something much larger they're driving at, whether that is the Great Reset or whatever else we're dealing with. I've never seen it this ridiculous. But it, I owe, we owe this all to those of you out there that continue to fight because you made a difference. As I keep telling you, and that is such an important thing to realize. You made a difference. You literally changed the world by standing up and pushing back. So did the freedom convoys and everything else that's happening right now. That doesn't mean it's over. It never means it's over. That's the exhausting reality of what these people are. They will continue and they've already planned out 45 other ways to go about this right now. It's just as we always say about being vigilant. Be dis- show discernment, question what you're looking at, and continue to stay skeptical of anybody in power left or right, or the reality in between. That's what it really comes down to. Thank you all for being here. Keep fighting. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.